Okay, good. So yeah, we're continuing uh, our series, and this is the last part of it. So we've been talking about for the past um, two weeks. This is the third week now. We're, we're talking about we've been talking about the circumcision of the heart, and from our, our previous sessions, what that means is um, a heart that is fully devoted in trusting God, right, and no longer puts any confidence or reliance in the flesh, meaning there is no reliance on any physical advantage, okay? Um, just like the Bible says, the race is not to the swift, right? Meaning the person that wins the race is not the person that is necessarily the fastest, and the battle is not to the strong. So the one who conquers in a battle is not necessarily the strongest. And the Bible says um, um, it's of blood that shows mercy, all right? So we're looking at that at the, the fact that our victory and achievement in life, especially when we work with God, is not dependent on our physical ability. It's rather dependent on the, our, our reliance on God. So what, what guarantees success in working with God is not your qualities, okay? It's rather your ability to depend on God. And we said um, the first week, the first day we said this conversation, we said that what um, in, the, in the kingdom, maturity is shown by increase in dependence on God, whereas in the physical, maturity is shown by increasing in independence, all right? Um, and that's what that, that's how the kingdom operates. Kingdom operates by depending on God. So as we grow, as we continue to work with God, we will become more reliant on God, all right? And, and that's what Paul was saying in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 10, when he said, I am what I am by the grace of God, so he first started by saying, if you look at me and look at anything in my life that you admire, it is the grace of God has achieved it. He went further to say, yes, I labor, um, um, yeah, I labor more than them all, meaning that even though it was the grace of God, he, he didn't mean he slapped in his efforts and in his own res responsibility. However, he concluded again by saying, yes, it was not I, it was the grace of God, meaning that even the ability to labor wasn't a product of, of his own will alone but it was a supply of God's grace that gave him the ability to labor efficiently, all right? Um, and what that also teaches us is that even though we are relying on God and trusting on God, it is not an excuse for laziness. It is not an excuse for, um, for being complacent, right? You know, someone can, can wake up in the morning and he's looking for a job and he says, oh, I'm depending on God and trusting God for a job. But the person doesn't apply to companies or the person doesn't improve himself. The person doesn't do anything. He just sits in his house and says, I put my faith totally in God and God will show up for me. That is foolishness. That is not the way God works. The way God works is that, yes, you take the steps you need to take. However, you are not depending on your steps as they, for your final um, outcome, for the eventual out outcome. That even though you exercise yourself and you, take, um, you do the things you, you should do normally, yet your trust is not in your action. Your trust eventually is in God. All right? So that's what we'll be looking at for the past um, two weeks. And this is the third um, third week where we're at it. So today, we want to wrap up that conversation. And I want to wrap up with an interesting, with uh, from an interesting perspective. And we'll pretty much look at prayer, okay? And how that prayer, um, prayer, is the, prayer is the backbone of our strength. When we say we should depend on God, okay? Um, um, how do we show that dependence on God or how do we rely on God? The foremost way we do that is in the place of prayer. So 
here is somebody that, for instance, let me give an example, someone that has a connection. Um, let's say his uncle is the MD of a particular bank and the person just finishes NYC, for instance, and then he's, he wants, he's looking for a job. He can easily walk up to his uncle and say, and say, I need a job. And then he automatically gets a job without hassle. But yet God impresses in his heart and says, no, I, my plan for you is not to work in a bank. But then the person is now saying, Lord, okay, if I'm not working in the bank, where am I working? Then God now, God now requires this person to pray and wait in the place of prayer. So the person, this person is not trusting in his uncle, right, who is the envy of a bank. Now he's trusting in God. But for him to receive God's blueprint and for him to even see God's will manifest, um, he has to stay in the place of prayer. So prayer is where we exchange our, our weakness for the strength of God. And so we want to look at that whole concept from today's, um, from today's Bible study, all right? But um, to begin with, let's open our anchor scripture, which is Philippians chapter 3, um, from verse 3. Philippians chapter 3, verse 3. So this is the scripture that we have been dealing with um, for some weeks right now. By the way, if you can hear me, please just, I forgot to check this. If you can hear me, please give me a thumbs up or just drop something in the chat. Let me know. I can hear you. Okay, thank you. Who else can hear me? Anyone? Okay, Lola, thank you. All right. Okay, good. Idara, thank you. Okay, so you guys can hear me then. So Philippians chapter 3, verse 3. It says, for we are the circumcision which worship God in the spirit. And like I explained, and I will explain again today, Paul began to give a definition and he began to give the attributes of who the circumcision are, right? And he says that we are the circumcision. And the first, first, um, first time I said this conversation, I explained that the reason why Paul had to bring this circumcision matter up is because at that point, um, the church was beginning to expand, right? And Jews and as well as Gentiles began to be, um, were being converted into Christianity. Now, the Christian Jews, because they had the, the origin of um, they had they had the, the Jewish origin and they had the um, they had Moses, sorry, they had um, Abraham and Moses and you know all of them as their forefathers, right? They began to brag about the fact that they were circumcised, meaning they they were more qualified Christians because of their circumcision. And they said, oh, God made a covenant with Abraham and, and the covenant is circumcision. So we that we are circumcised, we are the true children of Abraham. And that whole kind of conversation began to spring up amongst the Christians. So Paul needed to debunk that. Um, and he, he, he went for that to explain to them and say, listen, guys, the real circumcision is not the circumcision of the flesh. The real circumcision is the circumcision of the heart. Okay, so with that in mind, let's read verse 3 again. He says... For we are the circumcision. And he begins to list the, list the attributes. He says, which worship God in the spirit and rejoice in Jesus Christ. Meaning the circumcision worships God in spirit, rejoice in Jesus Christ and have no confidence in the flesh. And this is the summary of our experience as Christians. Or this should be the summary of our experience as Christians. That we, um, we, we worship God in the spirit. Right? And again, like I explained, what this means is that our, the, the, the reason why we worship God is not because of anything external. Rather, it's because of our spiritual connection. So we worship God in the spirit, not because of what happens in, on, in or around us. And just like Jesus Christ said that a time is coming and the time has now come 
where the true worshippers will worship God in spirit and in truth. Okay, so not dependent on any external um, factor or quality. Second thing Paul said here is that um, we rejoice in Christ Jesus. Some translations put it this way, that we boast in Christ Jesus. And again, I make reference to Jeremiah. Um, um, I, I, so the exact scripture does not come to mind, but it's in the book of Jeremiah, where Jeremiah said, where God was, was speaking through Jeremiah, saying that those who, anyone who should boast, right, should only boast in the fact that they know me. So God was saying, if anybody would have the have the gods to boast, the only reason why we should boast is that we know Jesus Christ. So we are not boasting because of any achievement we have. We are not boasting because we have uh, we have some advantage over another person, right? Because in the sight of God, that doesn't count. The only thing that counts in the sight of God is our knowledge of Christ Jesus. Okay. Then the third thing that Paul said here is that we have no confidence in the flesh, meaning that. We don't put our, we don't rely on the flesh for any, as, as any as any means of advantage. We don't rely on any advantage we, we have in the flesh, okay? So that is really what this is about. Our, the circumcision of the heart refers to the person whose heart is now focused on God. And it, it is of that person that the Bible now says, trust in the Lord with all your hearts and now lean, lean not on your own understanding, but in all your ways acknowledge him. And then um, he'll, he'll direct your path. So the person with a circumcised heart has learned to trust in the Lord with all his heart. And while this may sound, it's easy to quote, it's very sweet to recite. But in practice, when circumstances present themselves, then you will now know that the application of this scripture is actually killing to your flesh. It is actually, it brings death to your flesh. And what God does with us is that God takes us through, God allows us to go through circumstances that would kill the flesh so that the only thing we have is God. So when people, you know, when someone says, you know, when we hear, let's say, our parents or elderly people say, God, you are the only one I trust. That statement is coming from a deeper experience than just, than just the lips, all right? They might have go, gone through disappointments. They might have gone through um, periods where people that they trusted, maybe people that they even cared for and raised up, eventually deserted them. And then God now came through for them. At that point, there's no longer reliance on the flesh. And you know, one of the ways you know people that are depending on God, right, is, is the way they react when people promise them something. For instance, if someone is still just fresh, again, let me go back to my example of, of a job, right? Someone is just fresh, fresh out of school and and this person, you know, meets maybe an uncle that says, ah, you finished school? Ah, that's all. The last time I, I saw you, you were still a baby. Oh. Ah, you finished school? Ah, okay, okay. So what, what do you want to do now? You now say, ah, okay, I want to work. He now says, ah, what did you study? And the uncle say, um, and the, the guy says, oh, I studied computer science. The uncle says, ah, hey, it's not computer science. Ah, give me, give me your number. You know, you know what? Call me on Tuesday by 2 p.m. I'll, 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 I'll connect you with my HR. They'll give you a job. And that person all of a sudden begins to get excited you know, and begins to feel so happy that, oh my God, I have, I've already got a job. In fact, he puts on his, on his status, work mode next week. Um, how do I say it again? Monday motivation, work mode in the air, all those kind of things. And then the person is boasting and is already confident that my, my uncle, do you know who my uncle is? He's the MD. And then Tuesday comes and two, two o'clock, he calls the uncle and the number rings and rings, nobody picks. He calls the uncle again by, by um, 3 o'clock. Calls and calls, nobody picks. By 4.30, the uncle sends me a text and says, oh, I'm in a meeting, call me later. 
By 8 p.m., he calls and calls and says, Uncle says, Hey, what's the why? What did I even promise again? And now says, Oh, there's a you say I should come consign job. And then he's like, Hey, which job? Then the uncle begins to explain and say, You know, now the economy is hard, you know, things are not like the way. Already from that, you can tell that already from that, you can you can the guy can already tell that there's disappointment looming. And then uncle says, you know, okay, remind me next one month. And one month comes, and one month becomes three months, and that's how it goes into thin air. That experience, right, as unpleasant as it may be, it would teach the person not to trust on just the words of any man. All right? And Shang's experience reminds me of when I finished um, this. I was, I was about wrapping up NYC, right? Um, and then I, I got, in fact, it, it was, this was, was quite quite miraculous that it won't happen. So I went to the bank to run an errand for um, for someone. And then while on the queue, I met an elderly woman, you know, greeted her respectfully and all of that. And then we began chatting and she saw, she just asked me what school I finished from. And I told her, she said, oh, my, my son finished from your, your school as well. He finished, was in the second set. And I was like, oh, I probably wouldn't have known him. And so we got we got talking and she, she worked at... Um, she worked at the technology company then. I said, oh, you know what? Take my number. Call me. Come and see me in the office on social day. I was so happy. In my mind, I had gotten a job. And I was so relaxed. I had already told, um, I mean, the people around me that were staying with that, ah, this is what the woman said. I went to her office. <laughs> I went to her office that day. I waited for morning till 4 p.m. No, I waited for morning till around um, 2 when she came out for lunch. She saw me and she was like, oh, something, something, something. And that's how she, she just disappeared. By 4 p.m., I had to advise myself to, to leave. And one phone call to another, from text to, to another, well, long and short is I didn't get the job. But that taught me not to rely on just the words of men, right? So what I'm saying in essence, right, is that the circumcision of the heart will teach you not to rely on, on men or not to put your trust or your confidence on the flesh. Whether it is on a connection you have or it is on an, on an ability that you possess or an opportunity that you think you are most fit for, whatever it is, do not put your confidence on the flesh. Now, like I say again, right, because I need to balance this, this doesn't mean you don't take, you don't take advantage of opportunities as they present themselves or you don't, um, like we say here, shoot your shots. But I'm just saying let your trust always be on God. The only way to avoid disappointment is that your Confidence is on God, all right? So, back to today's, and that was just recapping for last week. So, today, right, um, I want us to look at how God works with men and see the connection with prayer, okay? And one of the things we would discover if we, if we search through scriptures is that, um, like I wrote here, our journey with God, right, begins with the realization of our weakness, Meaning that when we when we are aware of our weaknesses, that's that's actually when our journey with God begins. You know, take for instance, um, what's his name? Moses. Moses had it in mind. So I mean, Moses was in Egypt, grew up in Egypt, grew up under Pharaoh. He had a royal um, upbringing, and I can believe, I can imagine that they probably taught him all the fiscal um, exercises. He was well built. He knew how to fight. He was strong. As a, as a prince, as a son of Pharaoh, all right, um, adopted son of Pharaoh, he, he, he had every right and privilege that um, a, a royal son will have. 
And so it entered Moses' Moses' heart to um to to begin to rescue his people. He began, he began to feel this deep connection to his people, the Israelites. And so it came into his heart that he was going to be the savior of these people. Somehow, somehow he knew it. Okay. And that's the way that's typically how God begins to nudge us. That when God wants to use us in a particular area, he drops it in our heart and it becomes a, a burden in our heart. So Moses felt that burden towards the Israelites and he wanted, he felt he could do something better for them. And as it were, an opportunity presented, presented itself. So he saw two, two he saw a Hebrew, um, I mean, if, if a, what's it called now? An Egyptian, yes, fight, um, beating an Israelite. And then Moses, out of his zeal, thought he could bring deliverance to the Israelites by exercising his physical strength. And so he went, he killed the Egyptian and, and you know, let the Israelites go. According to Moses, at that point, he was doing the right thing. He was on track. But as the, we know the story, a um, few days later, everything backfired and he had to run out of it, run out of it of life. That experience showed Moses that he couldn't rely on his flesh to bring salvation. So Moses' initial attempt was to rely on his physical strength, rely on the advantage he had. He was well-built, he was strong, he was muscular, he knew how to fight, um, I don't know, maybe Taekwondo or something. And then he, he could rescue the Israelites with this, with the with the exercise of his physical strength. And the, the eventual outcome proved to him that God doesn't bring deliverance by exercising our by by us exercising our physical strength, meaning God doesn't bring salvation by the exercise of our physical strength. And so what happened was a period of 40 years when, I mean, Moses must have gone through several dealings and eventually God sent him back. This time around, notice that when God sent Moses, Moses was not in a hurry to say, yes, I can do this. I want to take over Egypt, uh, over the land of Egypt. No, Moses was, in fact, Moses was aware of his weaknesses and he presented it to God and said, God, I'm a stammerer. I'm a stammerer. How do I, how would you send me to speak to Pharaoh when I stutter? And God began to address each of uh, Moses' weaknesses. So my point is that everyone that God uses must first come to the place where he has, he is aware of his own weakness, where he is conscious that in my own self, oh, I can do nothing. Left to me, my the best of my ability would be foolishness in this regard. If once we get to that point, okay, once we get to the point of realizing our weaknesses, it is at that point our journey with God actually begins. So one of the best things that God can do for any believer, excuse me, is to bring the believer to the point that the believer realizes that he's weak. That is the beginning of our journey with God. Once you get to the point that you have realized your insufficiency, you have realized your weakness. It is from that point that God will now start working with you. But if you come to God and say, God, I'm strong. I can do this. Just tell me what to do and I'll get it done. God will just look at you and he'll be like, hmm. He'll wait. He'll wait until you circumstances reveal how weak you are. Then you will now run back to him and God can begin his journey with you. All right. So to begin with, I said here that our journey with God only begins with the realization of our weakness. And it seems from scripture again that God specializes in using people who know that they are not qualified in themselves. Then he becomes their qualification. All right. So God specializes in using people that are conscious that I am weak or on my own. I cannot do this. 
then he takes those people and he becomes their sufficiency and um, they, they do exploits, right? So if you check all through scripture, I mean, look at Peter. Peter, Peter, um, Peter was, was in fact, his name, his name before he was, became Peter was, was, was a reed, meaning he was so flexible he could bend from one place to another. But when he met Jesus Christ, Jesus Christ made, made him a stone. And later on in the, in the history of the church, we see that Peter became a solid pillar in, um, for the growth of the church. So every time, and everyone God uses, would first come to a realization of their weakness. And once God can bring you to a point where you realize you are weak, then he can start working with you. So if you think back in your life, you probably would have seen, um, you probably will recall experiences where you felt, oh, I got this, I got this, I can do this. And then at the end of the day, you know, your, 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 your story was almost like, ah, God, why did you shame me? And then God used that experience to, to teach you how to rely on his strength. All right. So that is how our journey with God begins. All right, so to, to, to look at an example in that regard, let's turn to the book of Georges, chapter 6. Georges, chapter 6, we would start reading from verse 12. I will need someone to please read for us, Georges, chapter 6, verse 12. Georges, chapter 6, verse 12. Um, oops, sorry, I'm 16. If you are there, please go ahead and read for us. Georges chapter 6, verse 12. Anyone there? All right, let me read. So it says, and the angel of the Lord appeared to him. So this is um, this is Gideon now in this story. All right, this is the story of Gideon. So the Bible says that the angel of the Lord appeared to him and said to him, the Lord is with, is with thee, thou mighty man of valor. I mean, so this angel came and addressed Gideon by a very strange, um, strange name. He said, mighty man of valor. And he says, for the Lord is with thee. And then Gideon says in verse 13, Gideon said unto him, oh my God, if the Lord be with us, why then is all, all this befalling us? All right, so let me give context. At this point, they were severely oppressed by the Amorites and several of the, of the kings from the east. In fact, the Bible says that when the Israelites plant and then their, their crops are ready for harvest, what will happen is that the Amorites and the other kingdoms will come with, with all their chariots and horses and their cattle as numerous as the sand of, this, of the sea, and they'll come and invade the whole land. Take away their crops, waste away, waste away everything that that they belo that uh, belongs to the Israelites, and they, they do this every season, every time they plant and is ready for harvest. So they were the Israelites were impo impoverished, and it was just a terrible experience. So that was what um, Gideon was referring to in verse thirteen. So let me continue. He says, "If the Lord is with us, why then has all of this befallen us? And where are all the miracles which our fathers told us of, saying?" Did not the Lord bring us up from Egypt? But now the Lord has forsaken us and delivered us into the hands of the Midianites. And the Lord looked upon him and said, Go in this thy might, and thou shalt save Israel from and thou shalt save Israel from the hand of the Midianites. Have I not sent thee? Verse 15. And he said unto him, O my Lord, wherewith shall I save Israel? Meaning, 
how am I going to save Israel? He says, behold, my family is poor in Manasseh, and I am the least in my father's house. And the Lord said unto him, surely I will be with thee, and thou shalt smite the Midianites as one man. So the angel of God appeared to this, to this young man, Gideon, and said, and said to Gideon, I'm going to use you to bring deliverance to Israel. And Gideon was like, Haba, Haba, calm down, angel. Look at it. My family is the poorest um, um, in, in the whole of Manasseh. I am the least in my own family. So of all people, why would you even come to me? Right? Why will you, how would you think that I would come and come and be the one to bring Israel out of, out of this um, mess that we're in? And the, the, the angel's response was, was this. And the Lord said unto him, surely I will be with you. And you, you will deliver Israel from, from Midianites. When, when Gideon expressed his weakness, God's response was that I will be with you. So to me, it seems like God intentionally looked for someone who was obviously disadvantaged in every regard. His family was the poorest. He was the least in his family. So he was on the lower, lower level of the, of the lowest ladder. All right? And it seems to me that God intentionally looked for someone like that who was conscious of his insufficiency so that he can open his heart and God would eventually use him. All right? So like I said initially, God has an affinity to people who are conscious of their weaknesses and therefore they are open to God um, for help. But the moment we say, oh, I'm strong, I'm strong, God will just leave you alone and say, okay, if you are strong, then do it yourself. And eventually we'll find out that our strength is nothing compared to God's ability. So God, God's desire is to get everyone of us to first realize that we are weak. That's the way God starts. First realize that without him, we can do nothing. And then from there, God begins to work with us. And just like he said to Gideon, he says, surely I will be with you. So when we realize our weakness, God's response is his presence. The moment we realize and say, God, I'm weak, at that moment, that expression of weakness, God now comes and says, good, this is the perfect opportunity for me to, to manifest my presence to this person. All right? So our weakness is an invitation for God's presence. That's what I'm trying to say. All right? Our weakness is an invitation for God's presence. God doesn't come, anybody that comes and says, I'm strong, I'm strong, I'm strong. God would leave you alone and say, if you are strong, go and handle it. But when you come to God and say, God, I'm weak. And you know, that is why God blessed Solomon with that amount of wisdom. Because when Solomon became king, he went to God and prayed and said, God, see, I, I, I am not able to lead these people. I don't have that capacity. But if you help me, then I will lead them. And God was pleased with that kind of prayer. And then he gave wisdom he gave Solomon wisdom and riches and honor, all right? So every time we come to God and we come to God and say, God, this is my weakness. So at that moment, then God manifests his strength, all right? So don't, never forget, our weakness is the invitation for God's presence, right? The realization of our weakness is the invitation for God's presence. And our journey with God only be begins when we realize that we are weak. That's when we realize of our own strength, though, we can do nothing. That is when our journey with God um, begins, all right? And then if you fast forward on in this story, another interesting thing I'll just point out, we won't read it now, but let me just point out before we move on. When 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 Gideon eventually agreed to, uh, through through several through several tests that he had to, God had to prove himself that this was God, okay? 
Gideon eventually accepted and said, okay, God, now I'm going to do what you want me to do. Gideon went to look for 32,000 men to go and um, fight the Midianites. And God looked at Gideon and said, and said to Gideon, Gideon, this number of people you are bringing, there are too many, 32,000 men, right? Um, there are too many for me. I don't need this many people to bring deliverance. Because if I bring deliverance with this many people, Israel will say it is by our strength that we, brought, that we won the war. So meaning that what God wanted to accomplish was to prove to Israel that, they didn't, that their strength was not sufficient to bring victory. And God didn't need um, an, an advantage of numbers right, to bring about um, victory for the Israelites. And so God told Gideon, you know what? Go and tell these people that anybody that is afraid can go home. Let's not be as if I'm forcing people to go and fight. And Gideon went and announced all through the camp, anybody that's afraid to go home. So what happened was 22,000 people now went home. Now Gideon was left with 10,000 people. Any, any strat um, str strategic warrior would know that having more soldiers is an advantage. But you see, when you start working with God, you find out that God himself is the advantage. You don't need any extra advantage um, to, to prove yourself that God himself is the advantage, all right? Um, so pardon me, lights is going to come back in a few seconds. So you don't need any other advantage to prove yourself to, to God, okay? God himself is the advantage. And so what happened was, God now told Gideon again that, you see what, these 10,000 people, there are still too many I don't need this many people to bring deliverance. So he God gave Gideon another mechanism to separate the people. And at the end of that separation, he was, Gideon was left with only 300 people. Then God now said, okay, so with this, with these 300 people, I am able to bring deliverance onto the Israelites, all right? What God was trying to prove to Gideon is that there's no advantage in the flesh. Even with, with 300 people, and if you read the story, it is quite an interesting story. You find it in Judges chapter six, um, chapter seven, and chapter eight. With this, with those three hundred people, the three hundred people still didn't need to fight. All they did was to blow their trumpet and throw down their um, their pots of clay, and that was all that they did. And that simple act of blowing trumpet, blowing the trumpet, and throwing their their pot of clay was exactly what brought victory to the um, to the Israelites. All right. So God specializes in using weak people. God specializes in using people that have admitted their insufficiencies. And if we are going to really do business with God, you can't do business with God coming, um, coming to form before God and says, God, I have, I have a master's, I have a PhD, I have um, three postgraduate certificates. That means I'm the most qualified person to be, to be the president or the governor of my, my state. It doesn't work that way. Your qualifications in the flesh is not what God sees as an advantage. Again, like I said, your qualifications in flesh is not bad, so don't, don't think I'm, I'm saying you don't have further education or anything like that. No. What I'm saying is that your trust should not be in those qualifications. If you realize that with all these qualifications, I am still weak, then God is able to use you with those qualifications to bring victory um, to his kingdom. All right? Okay, so give me 10 seconds. Let me just get this power back up. Thank you. Just 10 seconds. All right, so your qualification in the flesh is not what God looks at. 
All right. Um, another perfect example is the case of David. When David was anointed as king, Samuel looked at the physique, sorry, the physique of all the other brothers. They look well shaped, they look strong, they look in fact, based on Samuel's, Samuel's assessment, as soon as he saw the first one, he said, this is the king. But God said, no, I don't look at outward appearances. I look at the hearts. So the advantage, the, the, the advantages in the flesh is not what God looks at. God looks at the disposition of the heart. And the disposition of the heart that, that attracts God is the heart that says, Lord, you know what? Without you, I can do nothing. So help me. Right? And then God now begins to work with that person. All right? Um, so let, let, let me just let me just read this um, this other instance. We all know the story, Genesis chapter thirty-two, the story of um, Jacob when he encountered the the angel, right? When he fought with, when he wrestled with God, um, really. So Genesis chapter thirty-two, verse twenty-four. All right, and Jacob was left alone. And there wrestled a man with him. So Genesis chapter 20, chapter 32, verse 24. Okay? It says, and J Jacob was left alone. And there wrestled a man with him until the breaking of the day. Okay? So based on Jacob's assessment, this was just a man. So he was wrestling and wrestling and fighting with the man. And when he saw that he prevailed not against him, he touched the whole of his thigh. So the man touched the whole of his thigh. But I mean, eventually know that this was God. Right, um, that came in a physical form to jo to Jacob, but so the man touched the whole of his thigh. That's he touched his hip bone, pretty much, and dislocated it. And then, um, and verse twenty six says, and he said, "Let me go for the day breaket." And he said, "I will not let you go unless you bless me." And then he said, "What is your name?" And Jacob said, "My name is Jacob." And then he says, "From now you will no longer be called Jacob, but Israel, for as a prince thou hast power, thou hast power with God and with men, and you have prevailed." All right. And then when he asked him, he says, tell me your name. And he said, no, I won't tell you. And then, you know, on and on. My point, one reading story is to show you something about, about Jacob. Now, Jacob, for the most of his life, up until this point, he has been used, he, he has been used to hustling for things for himself. So using his fiscal strength, using his wisdom, using his sense and everything, just hustling, hustling, basically. Even how he got the bet right wasn't, his mother had to use some, some schemings to give the birthright to him. When he went to, to um, his uncle's house to work, he worked seven years for the first wife. They, they didn't give him his first wife. He now um, worked another, they didn't give him his, the wife he wanted. He worked an extra, another seven years for the original wife he wanted, eventually 14 years. So Joseph's, Jacob's life had been filled with so much stress and turmoil up, up, up until this point. And even his response to the, to the, to, to God in this place was to wrestle. He was just fighting. He felt everything had to be by, 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 by strength, by an exertion of physical strength. And that was the description of, of Jacob's life and definition of Jacob's experiences up until this point. And when God, when he encountered God, God had to do something to, to make him weak before he could bless him. You get what I'm saying? God had to touch his, um, his hip bone and dislocate his um, hip socket, you know, and make him weak, right? And it was out of that state of weakness that it was after that weakness that God could now bless him. Meaning that if, as long as Jacob was exercising his, his physical strength in trying to get things gone, he could never really taste of the blessing of God. There could never, there wouldn't have been a change in that in his name 
if he, he didn't experience that weakness. So what God did was to create a weakness that revealed his insufficiency so that Jacob, so that he could now bless Jacob, all right? So what God does with us is he takes us through um, experiences. He takes us through things that he allows us to go through, go through things that would reveal our weaknesses, and then our weaknesses will now cause us to depend on him, all right? And what, when we begin to depend on him, then God can begin to do his work in our lives, all right? So, so far, does it make sense? Um, do you guys understand what I'm saying? All I've you know, said so far. If it's clear, give me a thumbs up, or you could just drop something in the chat. Just want to show that, okay. Um, thumbs up, Idara, thumbs up, Faith, all right. Any other person? If it's uh, no thumbs up, any other person, is it clear? Okay, Ruth, thumbs up. Um, oh, wow. So that means it's not clear to the rest of us. Do I need to go over what I've been saying again? Um, okay, thumbs up from Open. All right. All right, so then let's proceed. So again, let me just, the summary of what I've said so far is that before God begins to work with us, um, before God begins to, to do business with us, as it were, he, we need to get to a point where we are conscious and we have realized that in ourselves, we can do nothing at all. So God, we now realize that God is our sufficiency, okay? It is up until we get to that point before we can actually start working with God. All right. So I, let, let me read what I wrote here. Now, 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 so remember that, like I said, we need to get to our point of weakness, all right, where we are conscious of our weakness. Now, what gets us to that point where we are conscious of our weaknesses is the dealings of God. So remember, last week we talked a lot about the dealings of God, how that the dealings of God is usually targeted um, to the areas where we, our, our flesh and our will is most in control, okay? One of the things that the dealings of God also um, will do in a man's life is that the dealings of God will, will bring us to the point where we are aware that we are weak. So when God begins to deal with us, and just for context, if you were not here last week, please get the um, podcast for last week and so you get a, a full understanding to what we refer to when we talk about the dealings of God, all right? So the dealings of God brings us to a place where we are aware of our weaknesses. It exposes to us our weaknesses. You know, God already knows our weaknesses, but he allows us, he deals with us so that we, we can admit that we are weak. Because if we don't admit that we are weak, God cannot start working with us. So he allows us to go through things and, he, um, and his dealings, right, reveal to us our weaknesses. Then our weaknesses now will drive us to the place of prayer. Then in the place of prayer, we, we, we receive strength. Okay? So this is how the equation works or the progression works, rather. God begins to deal with us. Our dealings will reveal our weaknesses. Then our weaknesses will drive us to the place of prayer, and then we receive the strength of God. Okay? So when we go through experiences, when God begins to deal with us, part of the things that God is trying to achieve with, through those dealings is to reveal to us that our weaknesses, you know, before I, I, I think I shared this before, you know, before I, God, before I met my wife, when we were still dating them, I used to feel like I was a very nice guy. I was a very, you know, wonderful guy. If I used to give myself out of, let's say out of 10 marks, I'll give myself like 9.4, something like that. But when I now met her, I now 
when I met my wife, I now discovered that there is still a lot of things about me that needed fixing. So that relationship revealed my impatience, revealed my 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 own fears that I didn't even know I, I had. It revealed so much to me. And then I began to I began to trust God and work on, on those things, you know, till I corrected them. So that's the way God God's dealings work um work with us. That when God begins to deal with us, He exposes to us our weaknesses, our shortcomings, so that we can begin to trust Him, right? And then we go to a place of prayer as an expression of trust, and then we receive strength from Him. Okay. And um, let's look at, a, at an example of this in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 7. Someone should please read that for us. 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 7. Um, 2 Corinthians is in the New Testament, chapter 12, verse 7. Yes. Anyone there should please go ahead and read. Someone, someone wants to volunteer? Second Corinthians chapter 12, verse 7. Even yeah. though I have read... Can you hear me? Yes, yes, yes. Go ahead. Okay. Even though I have received such wonderful revelations from God, so to keep me from becoming proud, I was given a thorn in my flesh, a messenger from Satan to torment me and keep me from becoming proud. Mm -hmm. Read to verse 9. Okay, three different times I begged the Lord to take it away. Each time he said, my grace is all you need. My power works best in weakness. Mm -hmm. So now I am glad to boast about my weaknesses so that the power of Christ can work through me. Praise Jesus. Um, add verse 10, finally, please. Okay, um, that's why I take pleasure in my weaknesses. And in the insults, hardships, persecutions, and troubles that I suffer for Christ. For when I am weak, then I am strong. Praise Jesus. So this is Apostle Paul, right? Um, thank you, Dara, for reading. This is Apostle Paul. And when we think of Paul, we I mean, think of all the great contribution and the mighty things that she, she experienced and he has done for the body of Christ, right? But this was an experience that he had that teaches us a lot. Paul said that because of the depth of revelation that he had and how great it was, that God allowed a turn in his flesh, right? And Paul calls it the messenger of Satan. Now, just for clarification, this wasn't the messenger of God, it was the messenger of Satan. However, God allowed, um, allowed it um, to affect Paul. So we still don't know what exactly the experience was, but whatever it is, we know it was an uncomfortable situation. And Paul says that, he went to pray to God three times. So, so look at the pro progression. The, there was a dealing that Paul was going, going through, and that dealing, or that dealing rather, pushed Paul to the place of prayer. And three times went to pray and said, God, take this thing away from me. And God said, no, my grace will be sufficient. So in the place of prayer, God gave Paul grace. And what does grace mean? mean? Grace means strength. So God energized Paul in the place of prayer, all right? And then... Um, and the Bible, is, so verse, verse 9 says, because of that, Paul, Paul himself now saying, saying that, I would rather glory in my weaknesses. Meaning, because of these experiences, experiences that I've had, I've now come to understand God. That every time there's a weakness, it means God is trying to reveal a dimension of strength within me. 
So now I take, I, I glory my weakness. I, I boast in my weakness. I, I mean, what I mean by that is when I see a weakness, I don't try to form strong. I bring it before God. I say, God, this is my weakness. I don't even try to cover it. Because every time I come to God with my weakness, in exchange of that weakness, God now gives me his grace, which is his strength. And Paul discovered this and says, therefore, now from now henceforth, I'm not boasting in the fact that I was a Pharisee before. I'm not boasting in the fact that I know how to, to recite the law. I'm not boasting in the fact that I am educated, I'm a lawyer. No, no, no. Right now, I only boast, if I'm going to talk about anything, I'll talk about my weaknesses. Because I realized that it's in the realization of my weaknesses that the grace of God is made manifest. All right? So the dealings of God reveal our weaknesses. Our weaknesses ought to drive us to the place of prayer. And then in the place of prayer, we now receive strength. It is with that strength we receive in the place of prayer. Not the strength we thought we had at the beginning. No, no the one we received in the place of prayer after we realize our weakness, it is from that strength that we can now go forth and do mighty things for God. Okay, does that, does that make sense? So every time we want to do things for God, we first need to come to God and realize that, see, I am weak. I cannot of my own do anything. Then that weakness will take us to a place of prayer. And then in the place of prayer, God's strength will be released um, towards us. All right? So that is the, the pattern. Um, let, let me just quote the scripture because of time. I won't read it. Isaiah 44, verse 3. The Bible says that I will pour water on thirsty ground. Right? Isaiah 44, verse 3. I will pour water on thirsty ground. What that suggests to us that is the criteria for receiving water is to be thirsty. He didn't say, I'll pour water on the ground that has water. Meaning every time we come to God and we say, oh, I have water, I have water. God will just leave you and say, if you have water, no problem. I won't pour water on you. But every time we come to God and we say, God, I'm thirsty. Meaning we acknowledge our need before God. Then God comes and pours his water upon us, right? Every time we acknowledge our need for God, then God pours out his grace, pours out his supply, pours out whatever resources that um, we require part-time. So again, I'm saying all these just to emphasize that our journey with God actually begins the moment we realize our weakness in our uh, the weakness of our humanity. That is when our journey with God actually begins. All right. <clears throat> okay, so we'll look at one case study um, before we close tonight. And that is the story of Peter. It's a wonderful story. So remember, prayer, prayer is God's, it's is prayer is what God expects of us when we realize our weaknesses, all right? So the dealings of God will reveal to you your weaknesses. God expects that the moment you're, you have realized that you're weak, that realization should drive you to the place of prayer because it will humble you. And like someone said, one of the expressions of pride is prayerlessness. So for somebody not to pray, the person has concluded that he knows everything, he can do everything, and that is absolute pride. But the person that realizes he cannot do anything will go to God to pray. And this is what made David very special. That even though David, in terms of his skill, he was a mighty man. He was so skilled. He wasn't just, it wasn't just that people loved him only. He was really skilled. But despite his skill, he always went to inquire of the Lord before he fought any battle. That reliance on God was what made David special, even though he was such a skillful fighter. All right? So your weakness... Should, should take you to God in prayer. And then from the place of prayer, um, strength will be released to you. Okay, so we'll look at um, the story of Peter in the book of Matthew chapter 26, 
from verse 31. Matthew chapter 26. Verse 21, verse 31, sorry. By the way, before we even read, I mean, just say, I, I hope you guys actually take notes. I think it would really be helpful if you do. Um, yes, of course, you can listen to the podcast to refresh your memory, but it's always helpful to take notes because sometimes when the inspiration drops as you're writing, um, it could be slippery. If you don't write it immediately, you could you know, lose touch of it. So I encourage everyone to please take notes um, every time we come together. All right, Matthew chapter 26, verse 31. Okay. So I will just read this gradually and we'll bring out some things as, we, as we're reading. So this is about Jesus Christ and his disciples. Um, that's the context here. <clears throat> so Matthew chapter 26, verse 31. It says, Then Jesus said unto them, All of you shall be offended because of me this night. So this was... Um, close to when Jesus Christ was about to be crucified, all right? And he said to his disciples that this night all of you will be offended, meaning you'll be, um, all of you scatter, you'll desert, desert me, you'll deny me, actually. And because he says this night, for it is written, I will smite the shepherd and the sheep of the flock shall be scattered abroad. Verse 32, but after I am risen again, I will go before you into Galilee. Now look at what Peter said in verse 33. Peter answered and said unto him, Though all men shall be offended because of you, yet I will never be offended. You know, when somebody, I mean, ladies, you know when a guy comes and tells you that, see, I will give you my last money. And the guy is making all, all sorts of promises. And he says, you see, I would, I would, if I would, I would jump, jump in front of a bullet for you. And you're looking at a guy and you're like, you don't need to promise what you cannot do, you know. That's what Peter was. was Peter was, was making a boast. And he says, even if everybody deny you, I will not deny you. And based on, in all fairness to Peter, right, based on his own assessment of himself, he felt he could do that. He was confident in his loyalty to God. He was to Jesus Christ. He was confident in his ability to withstand pressure. He was, too, he was just confident in himself. He says, me, me, Peter. You don't know me, Peter. I can imagine Peter saying, Peter one of, of, of Galilee, you don't know me. I would I will never deny you. You go and ask my ask for, ask for me on the streets, they will tell you, me, Peter, I will not deny you. And Peter was running his mouth, you know. And look at what Jesus Christ said, verse 34. Jesus said unto him, Verily I say unto you that this night, not, not tomorrow, this night that you are running your mouth, just this night, before the cock crow, you will deny me three times. Peter said unto him, again, Peter, Peter was, Peter was, he couldn't, he needed to answer Jesus Christ and say, though I should die, yet I will not deny thee. Likewise, all said the disciples. So Peter was saying that even if they point gun to my head and shoot bullet, lie, lie, I will not deny you. If they say this cross, you are going, you are, you are going to rather, they should hang me and you on the cross, I still will not deny you. And again, Peter was, according to Peter, you know, according to his assessment of himself, he, this was his. This was this was what he was going to do. So he trusted himself. He trusted his capacity. He said, "I know. I there's no way I will deny Jesus. I, Jesus that that turned water to wine. Jesus that fed five thousand. Jesus that healed the blind. Me, I would not deny him." And he did not understand that the flesh and the spirit are two different entities, and that if in the face of temptation, 
your flesh is absolutely weak and useless. It is the content of your spirit that sustains you in the face of temptation, all right? So let's continue reading. And in fact, before we continue, um, um, all the other disciples followed Peter. You know, Peter was a very, was a very, um, what's the word now? He was a spokesman. He was very influential. He had influence among the disciples. So when he said, well, I will not deny you, I will die for you. All of them followed, followed Peter and said, yes, the same thing too. No matter what, we will not deny you. All right? Um, and that was their, that was what they, according to their estimation, that's what they were planned to do. So verse 36 says, then come, comes Jesus with them onto a place called Gethsemane. Okay, so Jesus took them to a place called Gethsemane, and he said unto this, unto the disciples, Sit ye here while I go and while I go and pray yonder. And he took with him Peter and the two sons of Zebedee, that's James and John, right? And began to be sorrowful and very heavy. So he left the other disciples at the garden of Gethsemane, took um, Peter, James, and John further to where he was going to pray. And he began to be very sorrowful. And please follow this because this teaches us an important lesson about prayer and the weakness of our flesh. Verse 38. Then he said unto them, I'm reading Matthew chapter 26, verse 38. <clears throat> then he said unto them, My soul is exceedingly sorrowful, or even unto death. Tarry ye here and watch with me. Meaning that Peter, I'm sorry, Jesus Christ. <clears throat> had felt a burden in his in his spirit that he, he needed to, to pray through, right? One minute, please. So just, just Christ felt <clears throat> a burden in his spirit, and he wanted his disciples to, you know, support him in the place of prayer because what he was, what was on his spirit was too heavy. He was about to face the cross, the agony, the anguish, the pain of the cross, he could sense it in his spirits, all right? And so he needed his disciples, and he called his, the three closest disciples to pray with him. Okay, but let's see what happened. And then he, verse 39, <clears throat> and he went a little further and fell on his face and prayed, saying, Oh, my father, if it, is, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, um, but as thou wilt. Verse 40, and he and she commented unto the disciples and finded them asleep. And he said unto Peter, remember, this was the same Peter that was, you know, boasting and says, no matter what, I will not depart from you. I will even die for you. He came and told that same Peter and said, Peter, what, what, could you not have watched with me one hour? Watch and pray that you enter not into temptation. He now says, the spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. So he came to Peter and says, can't you just stay with me in the place of prayer for one hour? And Peter, um, Jesus told Peter something important that I want to say, say to us today. He says, watch and pray, lest you fall into temptation, all right? Meaning that the only way you can survive trials, the only way you can survive temptation is if you stay in the place of prayer, if you are observant in the place of prayer. Meaning that, you know, have you ever heard somebody say, for instance, if they put, take me to government, if I enter government office, if they just make me the governor of my state, God knows I will not steal one nearer at all. And the person is, is, is if, I, he, if you tell him that it's a lie, you steal, the person can almost tear you apart. Because the person says, me, I know myself. In primary school, my, my head teacher get, kept the, 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 the um, um, school treasury with me. I did not touch it. 
and he's boasting and he says, if they put me in government, I will not touch government money. Calm down. When that person gets to power, he will realize that it is deeper than just your will. It takes sufficient prayer, right, to make sure that whatever temptations, right, don't, um, that they are out there um, do not affect you. Because just like Jesus Christ said, your flesh might, your spirit might be willing. Meaning, if you if you if you ask that person, for instance, you'll see, you tell him, no, I will not steal government money. Meaning he's willing in his spirit, but the flesh, the flesh is weak. And it so happened that temptation appeals to our flesh. So if the flesh is weak, then it will fall for temptation, even though the spirit is willing. So God's system, right, is to translate the willingness of the spirit into strength in the flesh so that the flesh can overcome temptation. And the only way we can do that is when we watch and we pray. So it's not enough to realize your weakness. You must now go to God in the place of prayer and say, God, this is my weakness. Help me. And it is in the place of prayer, right, that we continue getting strength. And let me tell you what God does. God doesn't help. I mean, let's say somebody comes and says, oh, my weakness is alcohol. God will not, the day you come and admit your weakness, God will not say, oh, right now, let that desire for alcohol disappear. No, God won't do that. What God would do is that he will allow you to keep coming in the place of prayer. He will allow you to keep fellowshipping with him. Keep praying, keep praying, keep building your, your, your capacity in the realm of the spirit, okay? And as you are praying and building your capacity in the spirit, that, that weakness in the flesh will gradually begin to disappear and dissipate away. All right, And that is what God does with us. So prayer is God's method of exchanging our weakness for his own strength. And there is nobody that can be strong without prayer. All right. So that is this is the message of today's Bible study, that our prayer is what sustains us in the, in the, in the time of temptation. It is our prayer that supplements for our weaknesses. In fact, prayer is an exchange program. Prayer exchanges your weakness for God's strength. So in the place of prayer, the person that is an alcoholic, for instance, will begin to exchange that weakness in his flesh for the strength of God, until it gets to a point where the desire for alcohol for, or for anything fleshy, fleshly would um, completely go away, all right? So that's what prayer. So let, let's go back to that. Um, verse 41. Watch and pray that you enter not into temptation. He says the spirit indeed is willing, you know, and but the flesh is weak. And then he went again the second time and prayed and says, oh, my father, don't let this cup, um, may this cup pass away from me except I drink it, but let, let your will be done and all of that. And then he came back again and found them sleeping. So it, And he went, went back the third time to pray. Now, if Peter, well, let's, let's fast forward before I conclude. Let's fast forward to chapter, to verse 69 of the same chapter. If we read from verse 69 down to chapter 75, we won't read it now. From 69 down to the end of that chapter, Peter denied Jesus Christ three times. To think about it, right, the first time could have been a mistake. Maybe he was caught off guard. He just said, I don't know if mistake in him. The second time we would have said, okay, maybe you are still th thinking. But for him to deny Jesus Christ three times means that he was fully aware of what he was doing, yet he didn't have the strength to not deny Jesus Christ. And that is why prayer is super important. Because imagine if, imagine if, Peter had prayed with Jesus as at the time that Jesus Christ was praying, it is very likely that Peter would not have denied Jesus Christ. 
Very likely. If Peter watched and prayed with Jesus, he would have received sufficient strength so that when it was time, when the opportunity to, de to deny Jesus Christ um, came, he would have said no. And he would have denied Jesus Christ. He would, have, he would have identified with Jesus Christ. But Peter did not pray. And so when temptation came, even though his spirit was um, willing, even though his spirit was willing at that point, please, um, you just pardon me with the lights right, um, right now. Even though his Um, just a minute, trying to do, okay, this looks like black and white. And it's, please, just pardon what you see right now. Just listen, please. So even though um, he, he desired not to deny Jesus, right, but there was no strength to execute that desire. And that is where, why prayer is super important. The fact that somebody may have good intentions, not, again, back to my example, of the person in public office. Someone may say that, oh, when I get into power, I will not steal government money. That is a good desire. But the strength to execute that desire comes from the place of prayer, right? So if the person doesn't pray, doesn't stay in the place of prayer to receive strength, then there will be no ability to execute the desire in his heart. So the spirit is willing, but the flesh needs prayer to strengthen it to, for execution, all right? So prayer is super, super, super important. And let, like, let me say this to us. If God can bring you to a point where you've admitted your weakness and you know that without God, you, you are nothing. Without God, you cannot do anything. And that realization has driven you to the place of prayer. What God will make out of you will be, will be beyond your understanding. You now understand why the next time when Jesus Christ um, resurrected and, and um, Jesus Christ told Peter and, and the remaining disciples and said, Tarry ye in Jerusalem until you are endued with power. You now understand why Peter did not move. He, he waited until power came. Because Peter, from experience, already knew that without the supply of God's power, there is nothing I can do. If I boast and boast and boast, nothing would work. All right? So prayer is, it's in the place of prayer that we exchange our weaknesses and we receive the strength of God. So when you see somebody, you see someone and say, oh, this person is strong. It's not that the person is strong. It's, it's just that the person has learned to stay in the place of prayer to receive God's strength. If you should see the person's humanity and weakness, you'll be surprised, all right? Just like a man of God said that there is really no strong person in the kingdom where there's only an engraced person. So there's no person that can say, oh, I am, I am strong in myself. No, the person is only strong because of the supply of God's grace. And that grace is, is accessed in the place of prayer. So if God can get you to be to stay in the place of prayer, there is nothing God cannot make out of your life. Look at Gideon, that was a very fearful person. Eventually, he brought deliverance to, to the Israelites. Um, look at, uh, what's his name now? Peter, that we're just looking at. That was a that was delivering and denied Jesus. Eventually, he became a pillar in the church. So if God can bring you to a place of prayer, then God can make out of you anything he so, he so desires. All right? So let me just read up some things I put in my notes. Um, as I round up, it says, if you have, so I wrote here that if you have never witnessed your human weakness and insufficiency, you will never know the value of prayer. So I believe that that was the case of Peter. Peter didn't know how weak his flesh was. That's why when Jesus Christ said, let's pray, he was still sleeping. But when he realized, uh, he knew that prayer was the only key. Okay, so let me read that again. It says, if you have never witnessed your human weakness and insufficiency, 
you will never know the value of prayer, all right? The flesh profits nothing, meaning there is no advantage in the flesh. And John chapter 6, verse 63 tells us that, that the flesh actually profits nothing. So dependence on the flesh will achieve nothing for you. Um, one of the greatest revelations a believer can have is the knowledge of the fact that without Christ, we can do nothing. It is this revelation and, and this realization that fuels consistent prayer. So the moment somebody stops praying or reduces his prayer, the person is trying to say, well, I've, I've become strong enough by myself. I don't need God. There's nobody that works with God consistently that doesn't stay in the place of prayer. And that them staying in the place of prayer is from the, from, from the realization that without God, they cannot do anything. Okay? So if you hear, for instance, men of God say, oh, I went on a retreat to fast and pray before our conference or convention or something like that. It is because they have realized that even if a million people gather, without the help of God and the presence of God, they can't do anything. So that realization has driven them to the place of prayer. And that should be our disposition in the place of prayer. The disposition that without God, we can do nothing. That revelation should drive us to prayer consistently. Okay? So I said, like I said again, that it is through prayer that we substitute the weakness of our flesh for the strength of God. Now, let's read one last scripture before we take um, questions and, you know, contributions. Isaiah chapter 40, we'll just end on this note. Isaiah chapter 40, verse 29 to 31. Isaiah chapter 40. <clears throat> Isaiah chapter 40, <clears throat> verse 29 to 31. Please read if you are there. If you're there, please go ahead and read. Anyone to the rescue? Isaiah chapter 40, verse 29. Um, okay, no one, let me just read. So he giveth power to the faint. This is talking about God, obviously. He says, he giveth power to the faint, and to them that have no might, he increaseth strength. So don't, the faint means those that are weary, those that are weak. God himself gives power to those people that are weak. And then to those that don't, do not have might, he increases their strength. He now says that even the youth, shall faint and be weary, and the young men shall utterly fall. Meaning that if you, if you ask if you ask um, um, anyone currently, they say that we expect that the young people are the ones that have strength. But God is saying that even the young people that <clears throat> ought to have physical strength can actually fall and fail. And then the young men can be totally destroyed. But verse 13, one is the, is, is, gives us an exception. He says, but they that wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. So meaning that if every other person is failing, if every other person is falling, there is a, a room for an exception. And that exception is experienced when we wait on God. And the way we primarily wait on God is in prayer. right? So those that wait on God will renew their strength. So my encouragement to us tonight is to wait on God. Wait on God in the place of prayer. Once you see that without God you can <clears throat> do nothing, Wait on God in prayer. Devote yourself to prayer so that you can experience the strength of God. And that's why every time God asks us to do something, it is always be bigger than what our capacity can handle. If someone comes and tells me that, oh, God said I, can, I should do something, and the person says, oh, yes, you know, I'm not surprised because I know I can do it. I know that God did not speak to that person. Because if God speaks to you, what he tells you to do, 
will make you feel so small that you have to go back to him in place of prayer so that you he energizes you to do it. Because everything God asks us to do would always be possible for us to do it at the point he tells us to do it. So that will drive us to a place of prayer. And that's why the Bible says that, but those that wait upon the Lord will renew their strength. They will mount up with wings as eagles and uh, as eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and they shall not faint. All right. So the key to this thing is waiting on God in the place of prayer. Waiting on God in the place of prayer. Let God energize you and supply strength um, into your being in the place of prayer. All right. So I'm going to end on this note. Um, I hope the message was clear enough. Don't forget the sequence is that God deals with us. His dealings reveal our weaknesses. Our weaknesses takes us to the place of prayer. And then um, in the place of prayer, we receive God's strength. Praise Jesus. All right. I hope that was clear enough. Um, please, if you have any questions at this point, we would gladly take questions. Or if you have any, um, um, what's the word now? Contribution, right? Or something you want to um, chip in to what we've just said. Um, please feel free. We have just a few minutes for that. So, yeah, the floor is open. Any questions, anyone? Um, Tumiche, where, where are you going to ask a question? I thought I saw you mute yourself. All right, any question? Any question? Um, Faith, Idara, Bayo, Iyin, Emily, um, Busayo, Ruth, any question? Motsurayo, um, Nihi, Tumiche, any question? Ah, okay, 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 okay. I, I see. All right. Any question? Any question? Okay, so no question. Um, all right. Um, so one thing you learned today before we go, one thing you've learned today, anyone wants to share? Um, at least one thing you've learned today. Um, are you saying something? Oh, I say something to us. Okay, no. All right, anyone wants to share one thing you learned today? Anyone? Uh, does that mean we, no one we didn't learn anything? Okay. Uh, okay, so um just like I said last week, this has been a topic. In fact, this has been the message of the month for me, to be honest. I think I shared the face. And it has just been something that has been coming from all angles. And I really liked how you, <laughs> when you said, if you can actually stand up, like if you can actually go out without praying, you're literally saying that you can go through this day without, like on your own strength. I think it's something that we've, we take lightly. You know how you just feel like you can just, okay, when I come back, I'll do this. But mm -hmm. just you saying that is actually the reality. If you, you you literally feel like you can go through the whole day. Yes, you acknowledge God, but for you to stay and wait on him just represents that God, I'm weak. I can't do this without you. You know, just humility. And mm -hmm. that's, that really uh, rang a bell in my spirit. Thank you. You're welcome. Thank you so much for sharing there. Thank you. Um, who else is going? Who else wants to share one thing you learned? 
Emily put in the um, chat, I have, I have to give my weaknesses to God in prayer. Yes, thank you very much for that. Um, okay, Tumisha just wrote here, prayer is very key in all our confusion, weakness, every situation, we can always find answers in the place of prayer when we humble ourselves before God. Thank you very much for that, Tumisha. Um, who else wants to share what you learned? Um, can I call on Moturayo? Do you want to share something you learned today? Moturayo, are you there? Are you there? Um, one thing you learned, you're muted in case you're speaking. We can't hear you yet. Okay, not there. Okay, good evening, Victor. Hi, Nibi. Yes, please. Uh, one thing for me is prayer helps with my insufficiency. So that's one thing I'm come to understand, and it's reiterated by this talk also, this Bible study. You know, like when you talked about the family self confidence, Peter had. Yeah. And then oftentimes we, we display that even when we are mindful of that. Mm -hmm. It's just really bringing back to mind that we are really insufficient of our, in ourselves. But mm. with communication with God, we can really gain the strength to press in. Just like Isaiah 40, 29 video was telling us also. Thank you. Yeah. yeah, thank you very much. Thank you very much, Ni. Thanks for sharing. Tell me, Tope, were you about saying something? Um, were you about sharing something with us? Okay, no, okay. All right, so thank you everyone. Um, um, I mean, this has been an interesting topic, even for me, just studying it has really opened my eyes to a lot of things and it's really been a blessing. So I encourage us to go back again to the, uh, what's it called, to the podcast and listen to it and you know be blessed, all right? So next week, right, just for prayer and close, next week, like we have said, um, we would, it will be a prayer session. So next week, Bible study is devoted to prayers. Um, just like we have said before, the last Tuesday, hold on, is next week the last Tuesday? Uh, so I need to confirm that. Okay, yes, it is. So the last Tuesday of the month would be um, devoted to prayer, right? So please come ready. We're going to pray and we trust God will do a good work in our hearts. Amen. All right, let's say a word of prayer before we close. Our Father, in the name of Jesus Christ, we are grateful for your, um, your, your word. We thank God, your spirit that has taught us this evening. We thank you, Lord, because in every, every area of our weakness is an, is an opportunity for you to show your strength. So we come before you presenting our weaknesses and we ask that you, your strength be made manifest in us. Holy Spirit, if there's any trace of pride in our hearts, Right, areas where we have not submitted our witnesses to you. We ask, oh Father, that you reveal those areas to us so that we submit to you and experience your strength. This week, oh Lord, check our hearts, search our hearts, help us to depend and rely on you um, more than ever before. That the outcome of our lives will not be based on our fiscal advantages, but rather on the fact that we trust in you. Thank you, dear Lord. To you be all the praise and all the glory. Thank you, Father, for Jesus' mighty name. We have prayed. Amen. All right, everyone. 
have a wonderful um, night or day, depending on what time you're at. See you next week, same time, same link. Um, God bless you. Bye, everyone.